Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. On average, six people die from opioid overdoses in Ohio every day. The problem has grown over the last two years due to an increasing presence of fentanyl in our state. Summit County has been particularly hard hit with seven to 10 daily overdoses from opioids. In October, County Executive Eileen Shapiro declared a state of emergency over the opioid epidemic in Summit County. Here to talk about the problem and strategies to address it in our community is Summit County Executive Eileen Shapiro. So Eileen, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for having me, Greg. Appreciate it. County Executive Shapiro, tell us just a little bit about the opioid epidemic and how it's affected our community. Well, it's affected our community in a number of ways um, because there's the human capital that's affected, and there's the financial capital that's impacted. uh, Financially, we have spent, we believe in the last five years, $112 million fighting this issue. And we project that it'll be somewhere between 155 and 165 million over the next five years. Uh, the um, if you add it all up, we'll be close to quarter of a billion, a quarter of a billion dollars over the uh, ten-year period. Okay, so that's those pretty big numbers. Those are pretty huge big numbers. numbers. Yeah. So the financial cost, not only to the county but to children's services because the placement of children that are coming in through the doors from families with, from parents who have opioid issues, um, the cost of placing those kids, the cost of, of making sure that they're in safe places. And um, we look at the short term, but those kids have seen some things um, that will probably mark their lives forever. And so we see ongoing costs beyond that to another generation, if you will. So we look at the human capital, we look at um, the devastation that it has done to families, to uh, friends and loved ones that are out there, and as I mentioned before, to the kids. And I know that I've talked to so many people that have um, lost somebody, and the heartbreak and the frustration not to, not to be able to control it or impact it because this is an addiction that it's a disease, okay? It's not a willful thing. Yeah, and you've really been exposed to the ripple effect of mm-hmm. the opioid epidemic in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak for a minute as to why this has become such an important and personal, it would seem, topic for you? I mean, you dedicated a big part 
of your state of the county address mm -hmm. to this very topic. Mm -hmm. So why is it so important to you personally? Well, it's important for a lot of reasons, okay? Um, we talk a lot about heart share and mind share. And the mind share is about the stuff that you know you need to do. You know, if somebody's got a business, what's the business plan? Or how are we going to tackle this opioid issue? But the heart share goes back to that humanness that we all have. And when you see somebody struggling, and when you know that um, this is something that you just can't, you know, go to sleep and wake up the next morning and feel fine, that you're affecting everybody and it's um, generational because these mid-course adjustments or these interventions that we have often don't work. It's multiple times, okay, where people have to, their families, their money, their and it brings a heaviness to our community. And I don't know how you can stand and talk to somebody who has lost somebody or who is trying to help somebody or doesn't have the financial resources to make a difference, I don't know how that doesn't become personal. Heart share. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I really love that, mm -hmm. that uh, expression. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. declared a state of emergency I did. over mm -hmm. the opioid epidemic mm -hmm. here in Summit County, mm -hmm. and that enables you to utilize the Emergency Operations Command Center in downtown Akron mm -hmm. to serve as a communication and coordination hub. Mm -hmm. So let's speak to, if, if you could, speak to the significance of that and what we hope to achieve through that. Well, um, it's a lot about coordination. It's a lot about cooperation, and it's a lot about communication. So this is not um, uh, something that is singular in nature, that you have to have a multi-pronged approach to be able to manage this. You know, when I'm now talking to people, I can tell you, I hear stories all the time, and people are saying, we need to do something, we need to do something, but we need to do it not in a vacuum. We need to be listening to the people that are struggling. We need our first responders to be able to utilize all of the resources that they have be able to use things like the quick response units that are going out, um, the things that we can use to be able to do um, interventions as they can, and the tools that we have to communicate, like the emergency center that you're talking about, so that um, our first responders, our opiate task force, all of the folks that are working on this, our hospitals, whoever it is that we can, we can be working together instead of somebody off going this way and say, all doing good work but maybe um, losing um, the leverage that we have when we say, hey, I can do this. You pick up that. I'm going here. How's this going to do? And what is happening? What are the outcomes that are happening because of our activities that are coordinated? And we believe fervently that they will be positive outcomes as opposed to us working, if you will, in silos and not being able to communicate. So, and I think that that's so, so important, the concept of breaking out of those silos. Mm -hmm. Um, as you know, our state, in our state, we have been hit very hard mm -hmm. for the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, as bad, if not worse, mm -hmm. than any other state. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and we've asked, uh, many members uh, throughout the state have, have asked for it to be declared right. a state of emergency right. in our state. Correct. And, and this is something that I, you know, we at Cover 2 Resources mm -hmm. wanted to do a little bit of homework on that. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, we had a chance to talk to the um, leaders over in the state of Mar Maryland, mm -hmm. who, as you know, Maryland declared this a state right. of emergency. Mm -hmm. Governor Hogan did. And so we met with his right-hand man, a gentleman by the name of Clay Stamp, who talked about the operations center mm -hmm. and, and how by um, establishing and, and declaring it a state of emergency in their state, 
that allowed them to mobilize mm-hmm. the command center and turn it into an opioid epidemic command center. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how important that was to break people out of their silos, silos. Mm-hmm. And, and begin communication, coordination across the state with best practices. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, my hat is off to you because you're doing this in our county here in our state, and that takes a, uh, well, I mean, a little bit of kahunis, if I can say that, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just some great leadership, and, and that's tremendous. Well, There's I appreciate n- that. I think that if we, um, I want all the help that we can get, but if the help isn't forthcoming, we still have to do as much as we can with the resources that we have, and we have to be able to pull those together to be able to make an impact on this issue in our community. Running away from it will not do us any good. Denying it will not do us any good. It's not going to make this better unless we're able to be able to really have some um, strategic and tactical plans to be able to address this issue. And uh, we know, you know, uh, you know, we've also taken on. We're going to file with the farm against the pharmaceutical companies and the distributors because yes. we want to clearly, you know, if we get some remuneration, that's fine. If we get the change of behavior from the manufacturers and the pharmaceutical companies, that is wonderful. So like they changed the use of tobacco, okay, from those legitimate sources, we need them to change their behaviors. And I slowly but surely see the docs changing, okay? Some of them, a couple of our hospitals are working on that locally here about the prescriptions. You hear a couple of the, I believe, is it CVS or Rite Aid? One of them is looking at um, limiting the number of drugs when a prescription is written and questioning. We know that... um, the, the pharmaceutical companies, they know how many prescriptions and how many drugs are being written in a given area. We also know that, mo- that uh, what is it, four out of five uh, folks uh, were started on prescription drugs and they became addicted. Correct. Heroin addicts. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So um, they're, uh, going back to that multi-pronged approach, how do we attack it from not only the criminal justice side, for those folks that are, are dealing uh, illegitimately in that, in that space? And how do we deal with it from uh, a uh, physical and psychological benefit? And how do we bring the resources together? So by um, declaring that, in, uh, I said in the state of the county, it's not a, just a hollow battle cry. We have the IMAT team behind it. We have the opiate task force behind it, all working together. And um, I'm hearing things that are coming out of that that we can do, lo- that are being identified, that we can do locally, that we don't have to wait for the state or the feds to be able to, to decide that this is um, a state of emergency. We hope they do. We hope they come to their senses. Uh, but in the meantime, we have to take care of our folks right here. So, in fact, you haven't waited. No. Mm. Since you uh, declared it a state of emergency mm-hmm. shortly after your county address, mm-hmm. um, state of the county address, mm-hmm. um, You've had, there's been a number of meetings on this and a yes. number of things have been taking place. Can you speak to some of those things right now? Because I, I think a lot of it is kind of a little bit under the covers, so share that. Well, I, you know, there's a lot going on um, because the Opiate Task Force, is, I, I mean, there's, it's a huge body of people coming together with the IMAT team that's more tactical and being able to do that. But from our perspective, we have been talking for a long time with folks in our community um, about what we can do with, again, with our resources. So um, our uh, willingness to um, contribute 25 acres of land down the old Edwin Shaw property, which was the tuberculosis hospital, uh, which was the opiate addiction of their time. Okay, remember people were dying of TB and we didn't know how to treat it. And that was the facility Before for my time. Yeah, really. I heard about it. 
<laughs> so um, there's something fitting about using a piece of that property to be able to put uh, to work with uh, two organizations to be able to put um, a rehab center on it and a community center for those folks that are trying to um, uh, work through their addiction issues and have a um, community. There's other conversations. There's some uh, prototypes up in Cleveland that folks are looking at. We also um, uh, partnered with uh, the city and um, of some of the nonprofits to do a residential housing for folks that are coming right out of out of uh, treatment. And the sense that you had, at least that I had, when I walked through this facility, it's right down the street from the House of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if somebody woke up there in the morning, they would feel good and they would feel healthy about the environment that they were in and giving those folks a leg up and talking to our community um, about how we can get these people into into uh, work that is meaningful for them. We have a couple of organizations locally that have some of the some of the results that they have been pretty impressive. And how do we make more of that happen, knowing the the huge body of people we have that have been tackling this issue personally? So you obviously get it mm-hmm. in, a, in a big way. I, I just, um, it's hard for me to imagine um, getting up every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and my body and my brain are telling me I have to have something at all costs. And that working through with those folks, okay, to be able to show them that their support system, because they've got to do it, okay, they've got to do it. But if you're isolated, if you're embarrassed to tell a coworker or a family that you don't know, you know something's wrong, but you don't know how to ask for help, oftentimes it's, it's uh, monumental by the time it surfaces with other behaviors. Maybe you're stealing money from relatives or working the streets or who knows what uh, to get that, and suddenly the family is faced with it or they've gone through things in the house are missing, and you wonder, did I, did I put that someplace? Did I give it to someone? Then after a while, you start to think, ah, maybe not. Something's wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong. And there's got to be, I, I, uh, there's gotta be some um, denial for a while until you come to the realization. And then maybe the person that you want to help isn't ready to be helped. It's got to be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, which is another aspect of this, mm-hmm. which is so difficult to convey and get out there, and, and, and the concept is harm reduction. Mm-hmm. Having, having the courage to put out these tools in the community mm-hmm. to help those that are using to, stay, to safely use mm-hmm. until they get to that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have a challenge uh, gaining acceptance with things such as syringe exchanges, mm-hmm. which have been proven to save lives mm-hmm. and uh, cut down on disease, hep C, Absolutely. Uh, HIV, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. huge a difficult thing and tough as a leader to mm-hmm. embrace that and put mm-hmm. it out there. But mm-hmm. it's great to hear that that's another aspect. That Our health department does do that. It yeah. does do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, there's always that torque between people that maybe haven't been touched and think that it's a choice um, or somebody shouldn't have tried it or started it or whatever. You know, it's, people want to be um, uh, judgmental for a lot of reasons. And I don't want to be critical of them, but fortunately, maybe fortunately, their lives haven't been touched by it. But kind of that, God forbid, walk a mile in my shoes uh, makes people realize different things. You know, you hear folks say, well, we shouldn't use Narcan. We should just let them go. 
then most folks, if they're faced with it, and it's somebody that they love and care about, they don't feel that way. You know, it's very, very difficult to make these decisions for other people. And so uh, having a community that feels um, a level of commitment to help people that are struggling, regardless of what their struggles are. Now we know we have to be, you know, financially solvent, and we have to do all those things, so that's all the more reason for us to work together to be able to mitigate as much as we can. Um, there is, uh, through our ADM board and through um, one of the foundations we're talking about, uh, we have the um, uh, another program that is, um, has to do with mental illness, okay, and making people aware. It's an awareness program, and we're trying, because there's some comorbidities between folks who have addiction problems and have mental health problems. No question it's called about Change it. Direction, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so we're talking about ways to be able to communicate some of the warning signals and so on and so forth, which we've done um, with the mental health component and making people understand some of those other. So there's some more, there's always, I wouldn't say some more, there's always behind-the-scenes conversations about what we can do and how we can do it, uh, getting people trained transportation on a regular basis to get to treatment and so on and so forth. So um, the Uber program, the Uber program, yeah. exactly. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They started that at St. Vincent. Exactly. Fact, we did a little podcast with him. Okay, good. And, Tom Strauss. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just, yes. Uh, just amazing. He's a good man. Yeah. He's a good man, yeah. Tom Strauss. Yeah. And uh, I've worked with him for a number of years. So thinking um, maybe a bit more holistically, about how we can help these folks because if you got treatment centers and they can't get to the treatment center so they can't get to wherever it is that they need to get to you know we have issues with transportation and an infant mortality and a variety of other issues so because times are changing out there we have to change with the times and we have to think more contemporarily you know we have to stay with what's moving and leverage those new technologies, the new ways to communicate. Not for everybody. Make sure mm-hmm. that you have enough for uh, for a variety of people. Some are listening to will be listening to this. Sure. Others will be reading things. How do we spread the message? But for me, I want to clearly say, it's enough. We're done here. Okay. We don't it stop. Okay, and so any of the tools that we can do to make that kind of impact and those interventions. Um, I'm open to listening to and doing, providing whatever resources the county can to yeah. help make a difference. Let me just interject. For those mm-hmm. that are not familiar with it, the Uber program mm-hmm. that was set up at St. Vincent's, um, what they found was that about 65% of their patients were able to make their IOP appointments. So 35% of them missed it and washed out. So it was causing a lot of problems, and ultimately that meant uh, struggles for people, additional struggles. They implemented a free Uber rides program, and now, about four months down the road with it, they have 100% of the people now make their appointments. Just incredible, and it's made a huge difference for these patients. You know, I would um, also tell you that um, people need to be um, empathetic to what's going on, okay? Even more, not sympathetic, but empathetic Mm -hmm. to what their neighbor or their family member or somebody down the street um, is going through. Uh, I had a girlfriend, I still have the girlfriend, and her husband had um, uh, uh, something terrible happened with his kidneys and so on and so forth. And people were coming in to see him. He's, he had a transplant, and he's fine. But she said she was going to write a book because everybody said, oh, I want to see Sam. Can you pick me up at the airport? Here, this poor woman's trying to keep her husband alive. Okay, so think about how you could make somebody's life a little easier that's trying to support these folks. And... Um, being kind, taking a meal over, whatever it happens to be, for somebody that you know or care about, okay? 
I think um, that will go a long way for uh, for people who maybe have their plate full mm-hmm. to be um, uh, a little kindness goes a long way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they say that this isn't really substance use disorder when someone struggles with opioid mm-hmm. addiction. It's not a casserole disease. Mm-hmm. And by that, it's not like cancer where people will bring over, they right. hear about it, people mm-hmm. bring over that casserole right. for dinner, et cetera. It's a little more it's scary. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Much more so. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and revisit something, and that sure. is the Edwin Shaw property. Okay. Just to talk just very briefly about the nonprofit organizations that are uh, involved there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis and Shelley Bornstein, mm-hmm. uh, my friends from yep. Hope United. Hope United. As well as Dan Gregory from mm-hmm. Restore, Restore Addiction Recovery. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they have come together. And um, we know that beds have been a problem. And so people have been talking to the county about what can we do, what can we do, what can we do. Uh, Travis raised some money, okay? Where do you put it? You know, there's some communities that go, I don't want this in my backyard for whatever reasons. Well, uh, because of the history of Edwin Shaw, Lakemore is uh, open to it. They understand the value of it. And so... If you go to, to, the, to the property, it is a beautiful piece of property. It is um, peaceful. It's, a little, it's, it's easy access, but it's a little bit away from the beaten path, meaning it's not on Main Street or High Street or, you know, Market or whatever. Um, so there's a, when you go there, there's a calmness to it. Tree, trees all over the place. It just feels good. Perfect to repurpose for exactly, this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And <clears throat> um, the combination of having rehab, and also having a community center, if you will, for the lack of mm-hmm. better word, on the same property where there's some kinship that can happen and um, having to be able to, if you will, ha- be able to comfortably and safely hang out with other folks that are working through some of the issues after you come out of that. Uh, it just seemed right. And so we looked at the property. We talked to both of them, I believe, independently and then together. Mm-hmm. And, and the mayor's involved in that as well. Absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And um, I appreciate the support from the community on that. And uh, I don't want to say it's spontaneous because it's coming from a real need, but people come together in times of, of crisis no to say, okay, what makes sense? Because they could have one could have gone with, you know, just a community center and one could have gone with this, but um, uh, his church up in, in Hudson has been just committed to this okay and so it seemed to be a natural fit between the two organizations and we are happy to be able to be uh, a part of that by uh, providing them with this acreage so you touched on this next topic a little bit earlier i want to come back to Mm -hmm. it so together with so for akron as well as barberton and cuyahoga falls Mm -hmm. you announced your plans Mm -hmm. to file the lawsuit against the manufacturers and distributors Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. prescription opioids Mm -hmm. And so give us an update on where we stand on that right now. And probably most importantly, what do you see as the end game there? Well, um, first, let me tell you, we have, the, with, we have 31 communities in Summit County, and we have, um, I would say, uh, roughly half of them have already have additionally signed on. Okay. So we started out with this one, but mm-hmm. um, many of them have to go to their legislatures, have to get approval by their councils and so on and so forth. So the filing, uh, we hope will happen very soon, but we want everybody to be a part of it that wants to be mm-hmm. a part of it. And so the process behind the scenes is going in, is going to, um, it has taken a little bit longer than we had anticipated, but we, we will be rounding that corner soon and it will be filed. Sure. The folks that, uh, the law firm that we are uh, working with uh, were folks that were actively engaged in the tobacco suit. Okay, so they have some history with this. 
the uh, state has also filed a case now, mm-hmm. depending on, and I'm not the attorney, so uh, depending on how many cases the courts may come in and say, you, we're not going to negotiate with 47 different communities, you sure. all get together. We feel that we would prefer to be able to have our own case if that's all possible, at all possible, because um, if there, if it goes to the state, um, we're not sure that we will have a voice in how that money is distributed across the state, and so that would be a concern for us. And certainly, we will talk to our legislators about that if that is the case. Yeah. But. Um, we have uh, good reason to believe that uh, there is uh, grounds for this, legal grounds for it. And we intend, now this is all done uh, at the, uh, we have a national firm, we also have a local firm that we're working with, and they work in conjunction with one another. It's all, there's the cost, there's no upfront cost to us. The cost to us upfront is to identify the damages, the, the financial damages. So there's time from, for our communities to research what the cost of their EMS is and so on and so forth, things that maybe no, normally come to mind. You know, the ambulance runs. I sit on the 911 board for the city of Akron, and I can tell you there are a, there are a number of uh, EMS runs that, that are going out based on this. So actually putting uh, pen to paper, and researching what some of those costs are is is a labor cost that the communities are putting in up front, but there's no hard dollar cost to be able to do it. And it seems to me that um, if we can collectively send that message, quite honestly, not only to the pharmaceutical companies and the distributors, but to our feds, uh, to the federal government and to the state, mm-hmm. that we that this is a problem and we need to address it because it's not just Ohio. It's not limited. It's not just a city of Akron or a city of Barberton problem. This is a community problem, and these communities across the country are being touched by it. And we would hope that the outcome certainly would be behavior change, opening the pocket so that we can realize this is a national problem and address that, and locally that we will be able to really tangibly help some of these folks that are here. And hopefully when that day comes, when it's settled, Mm -hmm. they will have an equitable means to determine what the damages are for each of the communities and distribute accordingly. Yes, we would hope so. But, you know, we're mindful that oftentimes when money gets um, sent to uh, one entity, in this case being if it would be the state, um, it just gets divided up differently sometimes. And we would like to make sure that that's as equitable as possible. Sure, Mm -hmm. no doubt. Well, I tell you, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. What final thoughts would you care to share with us about the opioid epidemic and our fight uh, against the scourge in our community here? When I look at our community, okay, you know, um, when I left uh, some uh, previous thing and somebody said, eh, do you want to move, you know, go out west, go some down south, someplace where it's warm, and I went, this is home. So I could choose to live just about anywhere I wanted to. What's that old story? If you had your problems and you threw them in a pile, you would pull out your own to take them back. If I had my choice to live anyplace else, I mean, some communities talk about working together. We actually do it. And that makes me so proud of this community, and it gives me the confidence um, that, and the strength that we will find a solu- the best solution that we can for our community around this issue and anything else that comes our way because we are tenacious, we are smart, and we understand that we have to be fleet of foot to stay up with these things. And I just am so eternally grateful to the people in this community um, that I can't say enough about them. So thank you. And thank you. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate it, Eileen. We've been visiting today with Summit County Executive Eileen Shapiro 
who was a leader in our community and who was the first county leader to declare the opioid epidemic a state of emergency. Truly a leader in the charge and the fight against the opioid epidemic. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.